What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Vast Podcast. Thanks for listening to the first episode of 2022. I'm Michael, and normally I do this podcast with one of my greatest friends in the world and also my pastor, Jake Sweetman. This week, Jake is busy doing the important work of the Lord, and so he left me alone to pontificate on the internet all by myself. So he'll be back next week, but not to worry, this isn't an episode uh, of just me talking into the void. I'm really excited because today I get to talk to one of my friends and honestly one of the smartest guys I know, Tyler Preeb. Tyler is the founder of Missional Labs out of New York City, where they are shaping the future of Mission. Missional Labs is a venture lab for the global church. Their community helps missional leaders build courageous ministries and movements for the future through missional innovation and design. They exist to advance the people and ideas shaping the future of mission. And so this is Tyler's first time on the podcast, but it's also cool because it's our first crossover episode. So for those of you who may not know, late last year, we launched our second podcast called Kings and Priests, where myself and Dean Sweetman, the founder and CEO of Tithely, talk kingdom entrepreneurship, tech, and business. So we talk macro and micro trends. We hash out business ideas. We talk about how believers should approach work and building and launching businesses. We also interview founders, investors, and entrepreneurs. So if you're into that kind of thing, again, that is the Kings and Priests podcast, and you can find that anywhere you get your podcast. This interview with Tyler will be on that podcast feed as well, and I will link to it in the show notes. So before we jump into the conversation with Tyler, if you're digging the podcast, do us a huge favor and leave us a rating or a comment wherever you are listening to this episode. Also do us a favor and subscribe. It really does a lot to help us spread the word. So, okay, that is enough from me. Let's jump into my conversation with Tyler Preeb about missional innovation, design thinking, and living a missional life. I'm here with Tyler Preeb. Tyler, man, thanks for jumping on uh, today for the yeah, podcast. Man. I found Tyler on, I don't remember if it was Twitter or Instagram, some place I came across you. I came across your, I think it was, was it a blog or a sub stack? I don't remember. Yeah, um, just some writing. And it was literally one of those moments. It was like middle of the pandemic, church had been closed for seven or eight months. And we had been working on this digital project for church um, that was kind of the first uh, pieces of what this is today. And I just kind of came across writing and I was like, who is this guy that is saying the things that I'm thinking and putting them into really good articulate <laughs> language? And I think I just like hit you up and was like, hey, man, can we jump on the phone? I want to talk to you about what we're doing and get your thoughts. And I've kind of just been doing that to you ever since. So, <laughs> yeah, man, I, I remember that phone call. I was on a road trip uh, with my wife and just stopped and was just walking around talking to you, getting to know you, catching up. So it's uh, mm -hmm. it's it's fun to have built a friendship with you over the last, what, year and a half, maybe? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've probably talked to you kind of every step of the way as we've been getting ready to launch this podcast network and like, what's it going to be? And I've asked you questions about the tone of it and how does it sound and what does it look like? Yeah. So, man, your fingerprints are all over it. So thank you for that, first of all. Okay, so you're in, you're in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, you run Missional Labs, and I want to talk about that in a second. But talk to me first about what got you there. What's the last five or ten years looked like for you that got you to to where you are now? So I've been in New York, coming up on seven years. I grew up in the Midwest. I, I won't bother you with my whole story, but 
spent a little bit of time in Southern California for college. Um, and then the first five years of my life in my 20s, I basically worked for this global missions organization based out of Florida and worked all over the world with a lot of global church leaders, more in emerging contexts, right? Like South America, Southern Africa, you know, India, like that type of thing. And I always wanted to be kind of on the forefront of where I saw the church and the global Christian movement, so to speak. And so spent some years doing that and then eventually kind of set my sights on New York and God opened a lot of doors. And I've had a couple of years here doing both um, church and kind of parachurch uh, ministry and work. So mm-hmm. um, COVID was a big transitional time, but that's a lot of what I've been doing over the past seven years. Cool. And then right before you started Missional Labs, you were like uh, working at a local church. What were you doing there? What was that like? Yeah, so I spent about four or five years um, working really closely with a pastor named John Tyson in the middle of New York City, Manhattan. I was his chief of staff, so to speak. So I basically helped him kind of pioneer his local congregation right in the heart of Midtown, took it from zero to one, took it from one to 10, you know, so to speak, and just really helped shoulder the load and help try to pioneer a local church. I think that was like a big dream of mine, at least for a season, to make sure that that my life wasn't just sort of academic or missional reflection or, or anything like that, but that actually that there was a tether um, and experience with the local church for a number mm. of years. And so okay. um, that was an awesome leadership experience and, a, and some of the best years of my life, actually, really fruitful. So That's awesome. Um, and John has been a good friend of mine and a, and a mentor in some ways over a lot of years. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm st- I still go there. Me and my wife, we go to that church. We're leaders there. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my wife runs the alpha course there. So, so that's a, that church is a big part of our lives for sure. Awesome. And then you guys do you with John do the missional life course, which I'm sure we'll talk about here at some point as yeah. well, but that's been a project that you've launched in the last year yeah. as well. So, okay. Before we jump into this, tell me what was the, and this is my personal curiosity. So you were working at a local church, um, which is such a unique thing. And I've, I've done that. Um, as well, right. Where it's like this sense of mission and calling. What was it like when you started to sense, um, something's changing or maybe I want to try something new. Yeah, man. You know, there's, there's a lot of backstory and context to this, but basically for me in my life, um, I've always felt two things very strongly. One is, is that I have a um, specific vocational call, um, to the kingdom of God. Like I have a call to like advance the mission of God in the world. And I also feel very strongly from a very early age that I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor of a local congregation. Mm-hmm. And it's taken the, the better part of the last 10 or 12 years of my life to unpack and understand those two categories and mm-hmm. to not feel alone in those two categories in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've always been looking for the maybe the role models or the categories or the language or whatever to understand that. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a lot of language to understand that. Um, uh, Alan Hirsch, who's a pretty recent missiological writer, talks a lot about the apostolic function. Um, mm-hmm. And he says that, you know, whatever your theological beliefs about the traditional apostles in scripture versus modern day empowered um, apostles or whatever, he says that the apostolic function is a gift from the Holy Spirit for the church. And the tension or the reason that there's tension is that, um, is that that function pushes the church outwards. It's part of what pushes it forwards. It's part of what says the church needs to go reach places it hasn't been yet. And uh, the typical um, shepherd and teaching function, which he would say is um, constituent of a lot of the church in North America, is um, primarily focused on local congregational care, community building, discipleship. And so there's a lot of this language when you really start to look at it 
of pioneering versus settlers, of, mm-hmm. of uh, there's language of sodalities and modalities, this idea of ways of organizing people that are primarily focused on um, local family-oriented ways of relating versus more pioneering, um, strategic, kind of growth-oriented ways of relating. And so I always basically found myself as having this really strong entrepreneurial instinct, mm-hmm. um, but but not really knowing how to apply that in the context of the church and in the context mm-hmm. of mission, which was essentially my world. And, and maybe to put one more modifier on that for the conversation is it also felt like a lot of the let's call them global missions environments, the, the agencies and the mobilization groups and the networks and all this stuff, it really felt like those were kind of a kind of remnants of almost a post-war boomer kind of mm-hmm. paradigm. And so in the meantime, I'm having this like missional entrepreneurial impulse in me as I, as I grow through my 20s and into my 30s. But at the same time, the global missions movement, at least in the West, seemed to be kind of weakening and declining Mm. Um, and so it kind of left me like a little homeless in some ways. And I had, and I okay. had to sort of chart my own course, if that makes sense. So okay. that's maybe how I would like articulate some of that. So let's talk yeah. about, um, because I mean, that obviously led you to kind of that time led you to obviously New York city where working at a local church, but doing it in New York city is, um, I mean, you know, to build a local church in New York, you've got to, you got to have some entrepreneurial chops. You've, you, yes. you obviously have to have uh, a missional frame in, um, what you're doing and why you're doing it, which has kind of then now led you to launch last year, uh, Missional Labs. So I just want to read uh, something from your kind of year in review. So you're basically a year into this. Is that is that right? Okay. So you say in your year in review, you just said, um, from the beginning, we've been anchored by Newbegin's vision of advancing a missionary encounter with culture. The idea that to reach modern culture as it changes quickly, we need to recapture the missionary way of seeing the world. So talk to me about that. Just give me, I guess, like the thesis of what is the vision of Missional Labs? What's the whole purpose behind it? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's not that complicated. It's simply this. It's in every other sector of society, or at least in the business or technology sectors, media sector, whatever, there's this arms race to build the future, right? Everybody wants a piece of building the future. Um, but in in the church and maybe in other also maybe more stable, tradition-oriented, historically-oriented institutions or sectors, that's a much more challenging process, right? Because you're trying to build the future, but also hang on to the great tradition, right? Not, right. not disrupt all the institutions or whatever. Right. But, but COVID did a lot of this for us in some ways, right? It just seemed to, at least in New York, and I think in a lot of other places, um, mm-hmm. really swept clean a lot of our um, structures, a lot of our ecclesiology, a lot of what's natural about how we think about gathering people, community. Suddenly everyone's gathering on the internet, communi- you know, the way media and communication is interacting is like totally different than the way that we used to. Right. Um, authority moving from, you know, a spiritual figure to a community-based authority to, to sort of the sovereign individual. There's so many dynamics at play. And so the Newbegin thesis is this. Newbegin was a pastor, theologian, missionary in um, the late 1900s. And he went to India for a full career, basically, um, yeah. and pioneered the gospel in India, became a bishop of the church, raised up all these leaders, had an amazing career, tons of fruit. And then he went back to England as, to retire, essentially, as a 60-something-year-old man, and got to England and was like, this culture has totally changed. This is a pagan culture in some ways, mm. right? Secularism, post-Christianity, all that sort of thing. 
And so he basically had a whole second career as kind of this missionary theologian in England, helping the church recapture this idea that mission isn't just something that has to be done over there where the, the pagans are. Um, mm. It's actually a way of being in the world that we need to learn how to develop for our own churches and our own culture, because we can't assume that we live in a Christendom or a Christian culture paradigm anymore, and that the people across the street understand what we're talking about when we say the gospel or Christianity or God or Jesus. And mm -hmm. so the idea of thinking like a missionary is this idea of going back to first principles and saying, if I was coming here for the first time and, and these people had never heard or understood anything about the Christian narrative and story, what, what would we do? What would that approach be? And I think that that is an essentially entrepreneurial task in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a lot of theological and missiological language for it. We need to learn how to think like missionaries again. And so right. Newbegin's Insight um, has worked its way through a lot of pieces of the church over the past 30 or 40 years. We've had the missional church. We've had types of emerging church. We've had all this sort of thing. But it's basically all trying to get at the same idea, which is particularly in the Western culture, which is where we are post-Christianity, how do we recapture the tools and the paradigms and the the spiritual vitality necessary to um, to encounter people with the gospel in a fresh way. Mm -hmm. So what are some like little tweaks that you've seen in the church that has maybe changed from realizing we're living in this, this new world where, like you say, the person across the street may have no context or a, a really wrong context of what the gospel is. What are some tweaks that you guys have made along the way or that you've helped, helped churches make along the way to reframe the way that they would maybe think like a missionary across their congregation? I think that there, there's a lot of layers to it. I think there's theological, cultural, ecclesiological, and really practical layers. So culturally speaking, first of all, you have to start with where people are. And so this is a very different conversation in New York City than it is in Texas or than it mm -hmm. is in um, Alabama or Arizona or wherever, right? And mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. a very different conversation because the the culture in New York, the average person is so much farther um, down the path of post-Christianity and has a very different mix of motives, paradigms, worldviews, whatever, than the typical person in, say, Kansas, where I grew up, right? And this is why we see so much tension and polarity in the church and in the larger culture, because some people have this idea that we can still sort of purify and return to what was, and other people have said, no, that's over. We need to, like, figure out how to move forward, even if we're in exile, so to speak. And so I think understanding the cultural moment of your church's context is, is the, the first task in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. You know, theologically, a lot of people talk about um, how our apologetics needs to move from sort of this, this rational apologetics where you're making arguments for the claims of Scripture and, and move into more of a cultural apologetics, right? Like mm -hmm. taking people from what's beautiful to what's good to what's true, right? Rather than mm -hmm. the other way around, using using art, using media, using narrative, using, um, you know, uh, like living, living good kingdom lives, being salt and light as a way of demonstrating that it's plausible and that it's credible and then, then that it's desirable, you know? So then, then the last part is ecclesiological, which is essentially this. Um, churches tend to, local churches tend to have a hard time um, by, by their very nature doing anything other than local church stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. It's just the way that sociologically they function. It's the way that it's the thing that the typical person wants and needs out of their church or out of their congregation. And so what's challenging about that is that the people that would have the 
the gifting or the vision or whatever to go kind of pioneer new things, um, the typical church doesn't have mechanisms for that, right? The, they don't have this launch pad, greenhouse, equipping, sending, commissioning um, type of thing in their ecosystem. Now, historically, um, churches had pretty strong global missions partnerships like, hey, we support these 10 missionaries, put them on your fridge, pray for them when they come mm -hmm. back into town to give a report. But we don't have anything remotely like that um, for kind of the 21st century. Mm. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's a big thing that's missing. Got it. I mean, there's a lot to this idea, but this is where, um, you know, it's it's actually not the job of the of the shepherd of the local flock to go be the Navy SEAL, right? To go be the pioneer. Mm. Like it's not, mm -hmm. it's not their job. And mm -hmm. so what is their job is to create space and blessing and empowerment for those things to kind of pop up in the ecosystem of their congregation, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's having a vision for it and having the ability to empower the missionary pipeline or launch pad or whatever, because there's I... people in the congregation that have the heart or the vision or whatever, but there's no, there's no pathway. I want to actually go a bit deeper into that because I think you bring up a really interesting point and that is that, um, the church should act as just like fruitful ground to create space to develop and empower those kinds of leaders. What do you think, at least, what would you say the characteristics of a pastor or senior leader um, who is aware of these kinds of giftings and people in their church? What does it look like in a local community perspective for a pastor to say, I'm behind this, I'm supporting it, and I want to make you know space and room for it? Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think that um, a lot of it depends on the culture of the pastor or the culture of the leadership team. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges along the way. I mean, for example, um, you know, typically we raise up people that um, kind of have the vision and the culture and the heart and the DNA of of the house, right? They're the people that are they're all in. They're they're lean inners. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's ironic to me or funny that a lot of the people that are most missional, meaning they're actually out in the world, in the private sector, the public sector, the arts, the whatever, um, oftentimes are people that don't actually have the margin or capacity to be, you know, 20 hours a week in church programming, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so part of the part of what the pastor has to be able to do is to recognize that and to continue to see and acknowledge and bless the people that are mature, that are empowered, that are living missionally, even if they aren't necessarily like in the room at every activity all the time. Right. You know, Able like to serve on every team every week. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, I really found that I was like, you know, New York has a lot of really talented people and it's like, mm -hmm. um, I just always wrestled with this idea of, you know, don't build your leaders just on whoever kind of shows up to your volunteer nights necessarily. Like make sure you are able to widen the frame a little bit on the people that are on Broadway in Goldman Sachs, working at Google, like doing all this stuff and make sure that you're investing in them as well. And, and right. that was actually a big part of where the missional life course came from, for what it's worth. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. Talk to me quickly about um, this idea, this theme of finding missional leverage. Yeah, well, okay. The first caveat that I, that I obviously have to say is that, um, is that Jesus did not operate from a, from a typical strategic paradigm, right? He, right? he wasn't in Rome. He was in Jerusalem. Like he had a very upside down, um, ethic and logic. And so I think that that is something that, um, that has to be said first, right? Is that, mm -hmm. that, is that this isn't just up and to the right, maximum efficiency, whatever. That said, I think that when you are looking at 
um, the structures of the church and the structures of the kingdom from a macro perspective, you begin to develop kind of a thesis or a hypothesis about um, where to kind of pull the levers and where to push your energy, um, which piece of the wall to build, so to speak. And, and there's other versions of this, right? Like Tim Keller is famously known for saying, we need to plant churches in global cities. And, mm-hmm. and here's, here's why, you know, global cities have disproportionate cultural influence. Church plants are better at um, evangelism and mission than larger churches are. Like he had all this rationale. And so one of the things that has really guided me is to say, okay, what is, what is missiological leverage look like? You know, if you have a, if you have to make economic trade-offs, so to speak, about where to put time, energy, and resources, where do you put it? How do you begin to think about that? And I'm not saying that I've developed this perfectly or whatever, but um, in the same way that maybe a, a VC fund would have a sector or a thesis about where they're going to put their energy, like it's the same idea from the concept of, I guess what I call like macro missiology, right? Mm-hmm. The average person doesn't care about this. The average pastor doesn't care about this. But when you're looking at New York City or when you're looking at like North America or when you're looking at like the Western church, it's like, what is a, what is like a, a strategy that could begin to emerge for how to get upstream and, and tip the scales a little bit, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So obviously cities are really important because that's where ideas are shaped and produced, right? Um, obviously the internet is really important because that's the zero marginal cost distribution to everybody on the planet of anything, right? Like it's really important that we think about this. Raising up the, new gen- the next generation of leaders is really important. Most movements, ventures, whatever, are started by people in their 20s and 30s. Um, helping existing or mature movements, denominations, networks, nonprofits, charities, whatever, figure out how to leverage the resources that they've accumulated for the future, not just for the past. Like that's really important, right? And so you begin to sketch out some of these different lanes of strategic thought, right? And you can do this globally too, right? Because what the emerging world in the global South needs from the West is very different now than it was 50 years ago. Because the the church has matured in so many of those countries. And so they don't need pioneer missionaries in the same way as they might need collaborative specialists to kind of like fill the gaps in partnership and mutuality um, with the national church leaders in those countries. But then at the same time, there's still very good work being done in the 1040 window with people that have never um, heard the Bible in their own language, have never met a Christian. Like there's still a totally different world where missiological leverage looks completely different. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to be able to step back and like identify those things and look at them and say, okay, in this moment, in this cultural space, what is like the, um, the best use of time, energy, and effort at kind of a large scale picture. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of like thinking along those lines in some ways. Mm-hmm. And it kind of leads to your idea of being a design minded leader, right? So obviously one thing leads to the next. Talk to me about the concept of being a design minded leader. Yeah. Okay. So in my early twenties, um, I had a couple mentors that I knew in the context of where I worked that were obsessed with design thinking. And so this was 2010, 2011, 2012, and I'd never heard of it. And I was like, what, what is this? But, you know, design thinking is essentially a creative and innovation uh, methodology. It's a way of thought. It's a way of blending kind of art and science, kind of creative and business all together. Um, Apple probably is the the most popular fruit of kind of a design ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, and design thinking has moved its way as a discipline, kind of this interdisciplinary way of seeing the world and, and viewing the world um, from, you know, computer science and technology into um, kind of 
product development, product strategy into business strategy. Now there's design as a service. There's design for um, nonprofits and, and there's IDEO and every other organization like them. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, the point is, is how do you bottle up the magic of innovation? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing is that, um, is that the, is that the church has asked this question for a long time as well. And it's the question of contextualization, right? It's the mm-hmm. question of how do we translate, um, the gospel so that it is comprehensible, plausible, desirable, makes sense, powerful, like among a person or group of people. And so, um, part of what I studied and tried to write about was that the design process that we see in business and increasingly in the social sector um, actually has a lot of points of connectivity um, with the with the Christian task of contextualization. And so mm-hmm. what we need to do is use and borrow some of the tools of mm-hmm. design thinking, fill them with the kingdom imagination, and then equip leaders to be able to build the future and to build adaptive organizations and to respond quickly in times of change, right? And so I guess the argument is that design thinking um, is a critical skill for the Christian leaders of the future. And it's part of what's going to help us um, kind of reimagine how to reach modern culture because so mm-hmm. much of it is built on um, the empathy, human-centered, getting up close to incarnational principle, like all that sort of stuff that is the foundations of design thinking has so many strong echoes in what good missional practice looks like. What are some ways that churches – because, I mean, you have you have worked with various churches to implement some of this into the way they think and plan and build their, build their church. What are some practical – applications of that well so here's the thing there's a big difference between theory and practice right mm-hmm. um the average person even the average church staff is not going to read a bunch of articles on missiology they're not going to read ralph winter they're not going to read alan hirsch they're not going to read any of that stuff um mm-hmm. they're also probably not going to read a bunch of theory on design thinking or whatever mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. but but what you can do at kind of the ground level is um is make sure that people are I'm getting up close with the people they're serving, mm-hmm. right? Like, like so much of it comes from the incarnational principle. Get up close. If if you are not like doing the thing um, with people, if you are not in in your community group, walking your neighborhood in the prayer, if you're not doing that stuff, then you're actually not being fed with the insights necessary um, to know what to do next, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, all innovation at the ground level is essentially just solving problems for people. And a lot of it isn't even that complicated, right? When you're, when you're that up close, because you have so much context for who you're trying to reach, what they need, what the moment is for them and what you can deliver them. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and so a lot of it cashes out at the leadership level with just like equip your people um, to just do really good life on life ministry with the people that they serve and equip them with permission um, to generate new ideas and to go after them. Basically. Mm. I think that's, I think that's how it cashes out at like the leadership level in the church. It, it actually, um, it makes me think about, we did uh, an episode on our Kings and Priests podcast uh, about product market fit and talked about like the number one mistake a founder makes is they identify a problem, but they kind of give too much credence to the problem without seeing if anybody else has it in the first place, right? So um, we like make these assumptions and we start to put together plans and products and programs and we launch ministries based upon these assumptions only to find out that maybe our assumption wasn't actually correct yeah. and so we're essentially yeah. taking something to the market and it sounds so crass talking about it in a context of church but really taking something to the market that the market kind of says well i never really never really asked for this or wanted it right which you know yeah. for us led to the conversation of that's why people that are building business that's why people who are founders they have to be in touch with um what does my 
uh, customer want and need and how can I solve that for them rather than how do I kind of create a problem that I think I have that I think they should have uh, and then develop products and services around that. So it's almost kind of like what you're saying in a ministry context is uh, it's simply being really up close to the people that you are leading to the people that you are pastoring and responding to what you sense is, uh, I guess, the the need or the problems that they're needing to be solved. Yeah, I mean, so preaching is probably the most obvious, familiar kind of arena for contextualization, right? A good mm-hmm. pastor who's preaching needs to know both how to articulate with simplicity, clarity, and power the ideas that they're trying to get across. They also need to be be able to stand up and confront the the cultural idolatries and the the limiters and blockers and the things that are actually like keeping people from spiritual health and from fruit. And that's a that's a tricky exercise, right? And then to do it in a way that helps people make sense of their larger cultural environment, make sense of their Monday through Saturday, um, it's it's a tricky task, right? And so a good pastor has to saturate themselves in both the lives of their people and the culture and the sort of cultural context where they are. Um, you know, and, and so many other things and product market fit is a really powerful paradigm for thinking about all this. Like, how do you do product market fit between, you know, the person of Jesus, the good news, the gospel, the story of the kingdom and a secular person in New York city, like that, that is a design challenge. And here's the thing is that we're also in the transformation business. So this isn't just giving them what they want, right? It's it's giving them something that maybe they don't want, but in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah. And that's a good point because. In some ways, missional ministry is revealing to someone a problem they may have that they don't know that they had, right? It's not just about giving people what they want. That's actually mm-hmm. syncret- that's actually merges towards syncretism. And it's not just standing in Times Square with a with a sign saying the world's gonna go to hell, right? Like that's irrelevance. The right. the, the Christ and culture synthesis is in the middle and it's an art form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Talk to me about, um, and I think this is a great way to transition into kind of this missional life idea. So, um, you know, you kind of have this, and and this isn't new, right? We all, everybody would say this, but I think you guys have put it into uh, language and practice really well. And that is that everyone's a missionary. So what does yeah. it, it look like to live a missional life at my job in the city that I live in? Talk to me about like how this has all informed and gotten you guys to this place of launching the missional life course. You know, it's interesting. Some people take issue with the every, that there's debate around that everybody's a missionary, mm-hmm. everybody's not a missionary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For a lot of obvious reasons, you don't want to kind of water down what it means to be an actual sort of pioneering missionary or whatever. Um, right. But nevertheless, you know, the New Testament talks about how we are all called to be ambassadors of the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. We are all called to, we are all called to live Christian lives in public. We are all called mm-hmm. to close the gap between our private faith and our public lives. And this is tough in a secular kind of moment because part of what secularism does is says you can be religious in private right essentially mm. mm-hmm. and so this is part of what makes it a um, a challenge and part of why it's a huge discipleship frontier for people so it's one thing to equip people for you know private prayer lives it's one thing to equip people for kind of private spirituality personal devotion and and a lot of that even becomes sort of project self but it all lives inside of this personal bubble right it's not going to offend anybody it's not going to confront or come up in conflict with sort of the public square or the common good or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so how do you equip people um, to think like ambassadors of the kingdom and to close the gap between maybe fear, lack of equipping, personal brokenness, you know, all that uncultural um, kind of things that can feel like, how do you close the gap between that and, you know, the 
the the stories of New Testament kind of like faith on fire in the public world that we see in Scripture. How do we close that gap, right? And the core belief is that the average person actually wants to do that. They just don't know how, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so part of what part of what John and I sort of woke up to is we don't actually see a lot of resources um, that really equip the average person um, to follow Jesus in public, right? And to mm -hmm. really make sense of how the kingdom and the narrative of what God is doing in the world um, actually connects to their everyday life. You know, the average person um, spends most of their life on their work and on their relationships. Mm -hmm. They just throw some hobbies in, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, if discipleship doesn't cash out to helping you live out the kingdom in your work and in your public relationships, what, what is it doing? What are mm -hmm. we doing? Mm -hmm. um, and maybe connected to that is the, the missionary idea is such a lofty ideal. The, the average person doesn't wake up and say, I'm a missionary. They wake right. up and say, you know, I want to be like a good Christian in the context of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to you have to bring it down, right? You have to bring it down to this other level um, where it's kind of digestible. And so mm -hmm. here's the thing: you see this in in the arena of prayer. You see this in the arena of personal formation. There's this idea of how do we break this down to to the atomic level, to habits, to practices, to disciplines, to rhythms. How do we do contemplative prayer, intercessory prayer, disciplines of fasting, disciplines of scripture, disciplines of solitude, like all this sort of thing. But there's no category, at least not for the, let's call it millennial Gen Z, like the 40 and under that, that mm -hmm. we know of, that's saying, what are the practices of mission? What are the practices mm. of everyday mission for the average person? And so mm -hmm. how do we help people? And, and so here's what happens. A lot of times, people that have missional energy um, tend to silo themselves into either um, evangelism or um, justice, mercy, relief, development, and kind of advocacy mm. stuff. Or a lot of like kind of cultural engagement, kind of culture war stuff, or maybe some of it is like vocational faith and work, redemptive entrepreneurship, like that sort of thing. Um, but, or, or maybe it's like hospitality, right? Like my mission mm -hmm. is like create space. And so, but there's very few frameworks that help tie that all together to the average person mm -hmm. and say, hey, mm -hmm. actually, part of what it means to be um, an ambassador is you're living out of this kingdom story, you understand the gospel, you understand your identity, and then you have basic tools or evangelism and justice and work and hospitality and Sabbath. Like you have all of that in a way where you can live on mission for the distance. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we tried to create basically 10 part digital course. We run it at our church. It's born disproportional leadership fruit in our community. Mm -hmm. and because I think it's a, I think it's like a core thing that people are trying to figure out is how do I actually, you know, not just like cower backwards, but how do I live this out um, right. in the world so that I don't have to have this duality, this duplicity in my life. So that right. I can be a more integrated person. Right. Yeah, I love that because I think oftentimes, especially when it comes to like, so I'm a local church pastor, right? And so like the amount of times that we're invite a friend, bring a friend, who can you bring to church? Who can you invite to your small group? Who can you, it's like, that's about as far as sometimes we go in helping people understand what being a, uh, living a missional life looks like, right? <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, that's, that's the tool we're giving you. We're giving you an invite card. And the way that you're going to be a, a a missionary into your city is to, you know, hand the invite card to your barista totally. or whatever. And nothing totally. is wrong with that. I mean, that's that's all great. But I often think as a pastor, I find myself going, man, are people getting this on, like you said, an atomic level? Are they understanding what it means to live a missional life anywhere they find themselves? And one of the things I thought that was really cool that you guys shared on that Zoom was in developing this course, you kind of like did some experimentation and testing. Right. So you sort of had a little cohort of people get together 
Um, you kind of like worked this out in real time. You had them actually go out into their lives and jobs and then kind of report back almost like R and D in a, in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's evolved through, through the cycles or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. the, the first go around was basically to solve that original point I made, which is we saw all these amazingly talented kingdom, godly people out on the edges of our church. And we just wanted mm -hmm. to find a way to bring them in and like, mm -hmm. make sure that they felt seen, sanctioned, blessed, and okay, now go live your life. Here's some mm -hmm. tools, right? So yeah. that was the, that was the initial genesis of it. And that, that created a ton of leadership fruit because what the people on the edges that are, what they want is to basically for the leadership to say, we see you, um, we sanction you, go live your life, right? Let me know. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what they, so, so, so that, that's, just to, that's where it started. So to stop you there, what, when you say kind of those leadership, uh, folks on the edges, who, who were they? Were they people that worked, you know, in, in the creative space? So you mentioned Broadway. Like, who were those people? Literally like, you know, um, a guy who's like a mid-level executive at Google, super busy job. Another guy running mm -hmm. a global nonprofit, serving, you know, kids all over Africa. Um, you know, um, someone on Broadway, somebody that's a fashion designer. Like these people are doing real stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so and it's like, yeah. hey, hey, come to our church's leader day on Saturday. It's like, may maybe, maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. Um, but it's not right. not because they don't care. It's because they're actually doing the thing that we want them to be doing. You know, mm. um, and so that's, that's and so obviously you have to have times of discipleship and refreshment for those people. Yeah, but you don't ever want to make them feel like they're second class citizens in the community for for doing the thing that they're meant to be doing out in the world. Right. You know. Right. That that's that's so betrays our theology in some ways. Yeah, so that's so fascinating. And you guys just you you said that you saw some real leadership fruit from that in a sense of just these people going oh wait okay you see me you um you affirm what i'm doing and you want to help resource me to do it even even better yeah and you know another big part of this and we've done this imperfectly but i have a vision for doing this better is just the disproportionate impact of stories on a community or a culture so if you tell three or four or five like well thought out stories of what somebody's doing out in the world um mm -hmm. 98 percent of your church has no idea that they're doing that right but what that story can do in the culture is inject imagination, possibility, permission, so much of that stuff. And so you have to have um, just this idea of like feeding the bright spots back into the community as a way of like shaping imagination, saying what's possible. You know, I mean, obviously, like it's so much easier on an organization to say, these are our three programs. These are our rhythms. This is our one, two, three, four pathway. And the way to like win and get closer to the center is to like perfectly run the playbook of the one, two, three, four pathway or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that, mm -hmm. that's what it, at that point, what are you building? You know, all you're building is kind of a, kind of a copycat system. You're, it's, it's a factory, you know, mm -hmm. right. Um, whereas I think the organic metaphors of cultivating and empowering and blossoming and bearing fruit um, are way better, you know? And so, you know, I mean, we have people that try stuff all the time. Someone's running a um, kind of a hospitality dinner thing on the side um, and, or someone's running like a, a coffee meetup every week or whatever. And part of the job of the center of any network is to harvest the fruit on the edges and kind of like promote it, if that mm. makes sense. And instead mm -hmm. of saying, no, 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 don't do that because this is the agenda here in the middle. If that mm. makes sense. Right. Man, that's so, um, that's so cool. And that's a course that anybody can get now, right? There's a, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's okay. been out for less than a year. We're trying to try, we're, we're kind of beta testing it. We're piloting it right now. There's probably, okay. 50 to 80 churches around the world that um, we're connected to or whatever that are testing it out. And we're just trying to, trying to see if it'll go anywhere. I don't know. 
Cool. So, okay. So, you know, Missional Labs, you do sort of this missional training. You've got this course, uh, ministry design, consulting, resources. Talk to me about it, which is I'm excited about because I'm actually going to be a part of this initial, I guess, is this the beta uh, venture incubation of Missional Labs? Talk to me about that. Where did that vision come from? What's the goal? And and what do you kind of hope to see from that? Yeah, I mean, I guess it comes from a couple places. Um, and it is a total beta. We're just trying to figure it out. But it comes from a couple places. One is this vision of churches needing to be like greenhouses. There needs to be this space where new ideas can emerge and be supported and launched outside the the typical structures of local churches, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in in ages past when denominations were kind of the the centers of power for a lot of churches, this was even more the case. Um, now there's a lot more of kind of an open market free for all in a lot of church planting and mission or whatever. But but just this idea of like there needs to be these um, these incubators that stand very specifically in the um, kind of consciously in the like kingdom mission gospel like pioneering work um, and the, and help people like activate their dreams and their passions around that. I mean, part mm-hmm. of what happened is that the entire social sector, all of nonprofits, all of charities, all of that, if you take it back 300 years, those were all basically originated as voluntary societies that were created by Christians that couldn't figure out how to do their objectives in the context of a local community. So they just had to build these larger societies, right? And you've seen this in history through the, like the, you know, the Jesuits, the Franciscans, the Benedictines, there's always these like secondary orders that kind of exist for the sake of kind of cultivating and generating um, fruit and new things for the sake of mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think also, so you have that, and then you have secondarily um, a lot of the entrepreneurial ecosystems that have emerged over the past 20 to 30 years um, mixed with kind of the movement towards a more creative information-based um, economy. It's never been easier to be an entrepreneur. It's never mm-hmm. been easier to start something. The surface area for new ideas is bigger than it's ever been in the world. That's only going to increase and accelerate with everything that's happening on the frontiers of the internet and the creative economy and all of that sort of thing. And so we need to harness some of that entrepreneurial energy and fill it with mm-hmm. kingdom imagination, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that's my whole thing. And, and here's the, the thing that's missing. So there are, I think, pretty good examples of, of um, let's call them Christian-based business incubators or business accelerators. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there aren't really ones that basically fit that space of what's, what's traditionally called sodalities, right? Like church-adjacent, parachurch, like organizations that are trying to tackle problems in evangelism, discipleship, Christian education, cultural engagement, leadership development, um, and trying to say, hey, I've got some vision and some ideas and what happens is these people go to their churches for help and they get nothing, right? And so mm-hmm. then it's like, well, I guess my idea is not very good. Or I guess right. I guess I should just stick to my day job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do is pull together these kind of first fruits that I've started seeing pop up around the place of people that are trying to do new stuff with evangelism, new stuff with discipleship, new stuff with cultural engagement and say, hey, let's begin to create the beginnings of like a leadership ecosystem here um, mm-hmm. where we can support each other, learn from each other, help bring in kind of um, experts, both from theology and church and also from business and, and growth and all this sort of stuff and say, is there a way to do this ecosystem here and try to figure this out? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're, we're just going to try and see what happens. And and who are the kinds of people that are involved in kind of this initial one? What are some of the projects, even just generally, that they're working on to give people an idea of, you know, if something they're working on would fit 
fit in this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's um, there's a few different new media projects figuring out how do you translate the gospel into modern culture through mm-hmm. different forms of media. There's um, kind of uh, digital evangelism projects. Um, there's a guy that's trying to do kind of a kind of an underground network of of kind of men in New York City to um, to kind of like go after Jesus together. Kind of, um, but but kind of of the next generation. There's um, there's uh, I'm trying to think. There's all kind of people running kind of like small local businesses, coffee house, but they're very specifically um, mm-hmm. kind of kingdom missional. So it's I mean, in some ways, I'm just pulling from kind of my web a little bit. Yep. Um, yeah. But but you know, like you can't ever uh, something can be small and still be really potent if the model is interesting and you tell the story right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And so to me, it's more about like who has like kind of what seems to be kind of God given vision. Um, mm-hmm. And how can and, and part of why it's an incubator rather than an accelerator is that you have to create space earlier in the process for people to figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. just say, "Oh, unless you already have a thing, I'm not going to help you." You have to create space right. to say, uh, "I see what you're going after, and let's help give shape to the idea." Mm. Yeah, I love that. We need to find a uh, faith based like crypto project to throw in there. You know, we need to yeah, have don't like get me who's, started on that, who, man. That's a whole other conversation. Who's who's working on an NFT project that can jump in on the uh, Missional Labs incubator? Yeah, I don't really know anyone, man, but the the space that is going to be really interesting just as a maybe a topic for another time is going to be mm-hmm. DAOs. Is going to basically be decentralized autonomous organizations because yep. this is what this is what churches are through history. Mm-hmm. Their networks, mm-hmm. their movements, their collectives mm-hmm. of people um that go after an objective together. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of um kind of missional DAOs of various DAOs. I think we're probably I mean churches are always five to 10 to 20 years behind on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, it's going to take a minute, but it's mm-hmm. going to happen, right? Like it's mm-hmm. going to like, like new, new forms of governance, new forms of community, new for, new types of orders that aren't geographically organized, that digitally organized. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's happening and will continue to happen for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about that the other day, um, how, what a DAO will, um, like practically look like in the context of, you know, Christianity and faith and, um, I think it'll be interesting because it'll hit up against a lot of that like church authority hierarchy. Um, I, it, it'll just be interesting to see what direction that takes because in a local church setting, you know, to go tell some well, senior fine. pastor that the future of church is the Dow. And it probably is and isn't, right? Like every yeah. major force has sort of a reaction and counter reaction. Yep. But nevertheless, the, the seminal book, um, I think it was written 15 or 20 years ago now, was called The Sovereign Individual. Right. Mm-hmm. And this was the book that basically articulated where this is all going. And and in many ways has been very prescient. And so I think that what leaders do need to get their heads around is what does missiology look like? What does community look like? What what does discipleship look like? What does authority and discipline look like? What does all that look like when you basically have kind of a, a boundaryless, permissionless world of sovereign individuals? Right. Mm. And and what is a counterculture? What's the prophetic countercultural to that? Like, but but we have to reckon with that idea in the same way that universities, nation states, cities, companies, like everybody's gonna have to reckon with that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, man, Tyler, this has been amazing. Thank you for um taking the time to jump on. Where can people find you online? Uh missionallabs.co is probably okay. the easiest way to just kind of find the central hub of whatever I'm doing. And I have a personal website. I don't update it that much. TylerPreeb.com. I'm the only Tyler Preeb out there. So Instagram, Twitter, it's all there. Perfect. Amazing, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Dude, thank all you. Right, it's, so, it's so fun to talk to you.
Yeah, man. We'll do it again for sure. Okay, see you.